This podcast is brought to you by the College of Nursing at Brigham Young University. For more information about its programs, faculty, students, or alumni events, please visit nursing.byu.edu. Have you ever played Tetris and gotten frustrated trying to fit all the little tiles and pieces together? That being said, keep Tetris in mind while we talk about medical and nursing informatics, or in other words, how patients are organized within a facility's healthcare operations. Hey guys, I'm Adia Hansen. And I'm Corbin Smith. Together, we are going to explore the nursing profession with exclusive interviews for nurses working in jobs you want to know about. Transferring info from one nurse to another. This is the College Handoff. Welcome back to the College Handoff. We have a full lineup for you this week. We're going to start by talking to Erin Laney, a clinical logistics coordinator at Inova Health System in Falls Church, Virginia. She will discuss her role in the medical and nursing informatics and healthcare operations. Second, we hear from BYU Counseling and Psychological Services, otherwise known as CAPS. They share some of the resources BYU students have access to on campus for counseling, coping with COVID, stress management, and so much more. And finally, Assistant Professor Dr. Marie Prothero shares some information about herself and explains why apologies in nursing need to happen. So much to discuss. Let's get to it. So now we get the opportunity to talk to Erin Laney. She is an RN, a BSN, and an MS. She works for Inova Health Systems, or more specifically, Inova Fairfax Hospital. Is that right? Yes. Yes. And we're excited to talk to you, Erin. I'm excited to be here. Thank you for this opportunity. Yeah, we are super excited as well. Today, we're going to talk to Erin a little bit about her work as a logistics coordinator. So let's just jump right into it. Can you tell me what a logistics coordinator is, what your main responsibilities are? Sure. So um, let me first tell you a little bit about Inova Fairfax Hospital. Um, it has over 900 beds, and it's actually a large medical campus that includes women's and children's hospital, and it also includes a heart and vascular hospital. Um, I, it's a level one trauma center and a stroke center, and I have the opportunity to do the bed placement for these patients that come as either direct admits from other hospitals or from the emergency department. Um, the, the purpose of my job is to coordinate all of these patients and basically place them in the right unit and so they can get the best care possible. I, I'm curious how you got to that point in your career. Like when was it that you switched over to working in logistics and why should other people do it as well? So I started it as a new grad in the intensive care unit doing patient care. And I loved that. I, it, was, it was a wonderful experience. I, I did get a little burned out with patient care right at the bedside. And so I decided that I wanted to try other areas of nursing um, to have more leadership responsibility and be able to help make decisions that impacted a greater number of patients. 
And so I, that's when I decided to do my master's in health informatics because I loved integrating technology with healthcare. I, uh, I also work in the electronic intensive care unit, which does telemedicine for intensive care patients and monitors those patients. And so um, I, I share my responsibility with that and, and also as a clinical logistics coordinator. And uh, the experience that I've had, I've been an informatics nurse. I've been a nursing supervisor of a hospital. And I have done just multiple different roles uh, that has led me to be able to take on this position as the clinical logistics coordinator. So it's just a lot of different varied job experience and then a desire to to do something um, that that was different than bedside nursing. Okay, cool. So a lot of people that are listening to the podcast are either student nurses or they're current nurses working in the field. And I think that for those who are working in, in RN jobs that are working with patients primarily don't really know what goes on behind the scenes. Would you say that working in logistics, making sure that each patient has a bed, would you say it's a pretty, I don't want to say stressful, but kind of an intense thing to do? It is. It's, it's, it's definitely um, a job where you put, have to put a puzzle piece together. There's many patients coming from lots of different areas, like I said, um, directly from home or they're coming from doctor's offices or they're coming from the emergency department. And then internally, they're also being potentially upgraded to a higher level of care, such as, as intensive care, or they're being downgraded to a medical floor. And so we have to basically use our resources, our bed resources wisely and figure out who, who gets what bed. And so it's right, just as a medication administration, right patient, right place, right time. Um, we we want to make sure that these patients are placed in the right place and that we use, um, since we have so many patients, um, we have to use our resources in the best way possible. So the timing is critical that we um, look at um, the patient's um, clinical situation. Um, we do an assessment of their chart. We talk to the ED um, or the bedside nurses. Uh, we talk to the physicians. And so we can understand all that information to make the best decision. Oh, yeah. That's even another beast that you have to take on with uh, patients that are already in the hospital, that their situation may be changing, maybe getting worse. You have to take them somewhere else in the hospital, making sure that part in the hospital has enough beds. That sounds insane. That sounds like a one heck of a job that you have to do. Yes, it's, it's really rewarding um, to be able to help all of these patients because literally we touch almost every patient in the hospital. We also have patients coming from the PACU after their operating room cases. Um, and so we have to make plans for them. So we look at the unit that they need to go to and we have to make sure that there's enough discharges um, of patients and enough space for them so they can go to the right unit and be able to get the care that they need for their for sub post their surgical procedure too. 
So that's another aspect that we look at. When we um, start our shift, we have, um, we split, there's two RNs and we split into medicine RN and then surgical RN. And we go divide and conquer and basically work together to be able to help place these patients safely. That's awesome. And I normally don't ask about COVID, but because of what you do for your work, I imagine that COVID has really put a lot on your plate because there are much more people in the hospital coming in and out every single day. There may be more people that need to come into the hospital than you guys have room for. Has COVID affected your work in any way? And if so, how? Yes, COVID has been a huge part of our responsibility. Um, when we we have to look for um, the COVID screening test to see if it's positive or negative. And then there are certain areas of the hospital, certain units that only take the COVID patients. So we have to make sure that there's enough room in in those units and we have to make sure that those patients um, are transferred there um, the best way possible. COVID is tricky because some patients um, present in, in different ways. And so you really have to be careful how you place the patient. And if we have too many COVID patients, we place the lower risk COVID patients in other units and then high risk patients, we place them in other units um, that are higher acuity. So um, we also run a report for administration for the hospital um, of the different COVID patients that uh, are in each unit and then how many have tested negative. And once we do that, we're, we send that out so that they can make decisions about where they send their um, PPE or personal protective equipment um, to which part of the hospital and where they have to send more staff to accommodate these patients. So um, it's been a major priority and it's really impacted our patient flow throughout the hospital. And we've really had to come up with a lot of um, policies and workflow workflow procedures to be able to accommodate this. Let's say that a recent grad has kind of gotten to the point where you are, where you've burned out a little bit of the bedside patient care. What is something that they should do to prepare themselves to work in logistics if that's what they wanted to do? Any skills they should develop or talents they should learn? I would say to um, learn the technology of the electronic health record system is really a key. And also to understand um, the patient's information and understand how to critically think about patient care and what would be most safe for a patient. I would suggest that they become, um, if if they've done bedside, that they do charge nurse and um, try to take on a role as charge nurse or maybe nursing supervisor, because those roles really help me understand the whole flow of the hospital and uh, not just the unit that I worked on. 
So Aaron, before we go, is there a way that students could reach out to you to learn a little bit more about your job and what you do? Sure. I'd be happy to share that information. They can uh, email me at eklaney, so L-A-N is a Nancy, E-Y, at gmail.com. And I'm happy to answer any questions. Um, I, if they email me, I'm happy to set up a time with them that, that we can do a phone call, even if they would like to discuss further uh, about their career and what options they've had and what experience I've had in, in various job roles. Thank you, Aaron, so much for taking the time to talk to us today. We appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I appreciate the opportunity to share this information. Did you know that the BYU College of Nursing blog posts regular updates on its programs, faculty, students, and alumni? Read exclusive stories or access past archives at byunursing.wordpress.com. Okay, we're here with John Cox. John, could you introduce yourself a little bit? Hi, my name is John Cox. I am an associate clinical professor in the Counseling and Psychological Services at BYU. And uh, I'm happy to be here. Perfect. So you work for BYU CAPS. Could you tell us a little bit about the mission of CAPS? Sure thing. So CAPS' mission is to help students to uh, take care of any mental health issues and other stress issues that might get in the way of them being able to succeed at school and in life. What services does CAPS offer to students? Okay, so we actually have quite a few different services that, that we provide, and accessing them is, uh, it varies depending on the services. So uh, when people think about a counseling center like CAPS, usually they first think of individual therapy. Mm -hmm. And we do provide individual therapy free for all BYU students uh, who are nine credits or more, so three-quarter time or above. Um, and in order to access that individual therapy, um, students need to go to our website. It's CAPS, C-A-P-S, dot BYU dot E-D-U. Um, and then there are instructions on how to uh, fill out our intake documentation and make an appointment. Um, it's important for students to realize that we uh, have more demand for our services than we are able to provide. And because of that, we've done a lot of research uh, to identify um, how we can help the most students and, uh, and be able to provide services to the most students possible while also providing enough help to uh, the majority of students. Now, we do have other services for students. Um, one of the main services that is uh, in addition to or instead of individual therapy is group therapy. And our research on our therapy groups over the past uh, three decades says that our therapy groups at CAPS are just as helpful and effective as individual therapy. Really? Um, yeah. And also, we don't have any session limits for group therapy because as clinicians, we can meet with many more students in group per hour than we can in individual therapy. And so that's a way that we try and uh, help defray some of the demand for our services. We have a number of different types of groups, including general groups, but also uh, 
more specific topical groups such as anxiety and uh, self-compassion group. Um, we have sexual concerns groups and we have um, like I lead a group for students on the autism spectrum. Um, we have eating disorder groups and trauma groups and uh, groups for uh, they're titled reconciling faith and sexuality groups. So there's a number of different types of groups, and uh, we have uh, uh, actually quite a few clinicians in the counseling center who have national certifications in group therapy. And our uh, therapy group therapy program has received uh, award an award from uh, the American Psychological Association for like a model group therapy program. That's so cool. I knew about CAPS individual therapy, but I didn't know that you guys also offer group therapy. Yeah, most people, when they think about counseling, don't initially come in wanting to do a group. However, yeah. there are benefits to doing a group. For example, uh, you can do a group every semester, and the groups last most of the semester. So that's you know, 13, 14 weeks of therapy every semester rather than one course of seven sessions. Yeah. And I imagine you get really close to the people in your group. That's true. <laughs> that can definitely happen. And in fact, there are some benefits that happen in groups that don't happen in individual therapy. For example, mm -hmm. um, I lead an OCD group. And one of the uh, things that um, students who come to the OCD group frequently mention as a benefit is that they don't realize how many other people experience similar things to them. And and being able to talk with other people who experience the same or, or similar symptoms can be really helpful. Yeah. So in general, what are some signs that a student should visit CAPS and get some help? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So if, if the symptoms that they're experiencing, whether they're diagnosable or not, the symptoms that they're experiencing are getting in the way of their ability to function in life, especially with school and work and uh, even social, uh, then we definitely want people to contact us and, and come in and get help so that they can be more free to, uh, you know, like accomplish things that they want to accomplish. And for nursing students, how can they get involved in CAPS? Yeah, so um, first of all, uh, nursing is a <laughs> difficult program. For sure, and and you know, from all I've heard, it's uh, stressful. And so, if any nursing students uh, would like help, that's what CAPS is for. Now, on the other end of the spectrum, uh, many nursing students really want to help out and uh, volunteer and help other students. And uh, we actually have a part of CAPS that is a, a undergraduate volunteer organization. It's called the Student Outreach Council. And I'm actually the faculty advisor for the Student Outreach Council. Um, and so any student who wants to help spread information and education and help their fellow students, uh, we call it outreach, uh, through CAPS, is welcome to join us in the Student Outreach Council. Um, we meet virtually right now over Zoom. And then when the pandemic's over, we'll go back to in-person, but we meet every Thursday at 11. And, uh, you know, I realize that there are many departments that have meetings at that time. I don't know if nursing has uh, meetings at that time, but uh, we have many students who want to help out and do help out 
even if they can't come to our Thursday at 11 meeting. And sometimes people, uh, you know, will will be a part of uh, our organization and be on the email list, and maybe they can't make it to the Thursday meetings one semester, but they uh, keep in touch and, and participate in different things uh, through the email list. And then later on, when they have availability on, on Thursdays, they'll come to our meetings later. Thank you so much for calling and talking with us, John. You're totally welcome. Remember that the BYU College of Nursing wants you to participate in their social media channels. As you view their photos and messages at BYU Nursing, make sure to like, share, and comment on what they post. So our next guest today is Marie Prothero. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here today. Could you introduce yourself for us? Yeah, I, I live in Springville, Utah. Um, I've actually lived there now for 38 years. Um, prior to that, kind of lived in a small town just west of Spanish Fork called Lakeshore, Utah. If you've ever been there, a little farming community. And um, I've been here. I joined the faculty in August of 2020. Yay, during a pandemic. I'm an assistant professor and currently I'm teaching capstone and nursing 320, which is scholarly inquiry. Okay, that's awesome. Let's start off with some fun questions, all right? Where is your favorite place to travel? My husband and I love San Francisco, and we probably would go there at least once a year. We love that city. We love riding the trolley cars. We love the restaurants. We love going down to the wharf. There's so much about that city that that we love. And we have talked a lot about how sad it is that even if we could go there, it would not be the same because many of the restaurants are not open and it's so difficult to travel right now and feel safe to travel. And so we just wait and hope for someday when, when traveling will be, will be safer. I also love just traveling locally. Um, We have a little cabin in Mount Pleasant, Utah that we go to and sitting out on that deck, looking at the trees and just thinking about nothing is one of my favorite things to do. Um, And it's, you know, it's quiet. There's no traffic. And I think being in nature and being outside has been one of the most um, rewarding things for, uh, for us, for our family, to really focus on this beautiful earth that God has created for us to be part of and live our lives and our, our earthly experience. Okay, so you have grandkids. What makes you the fun grandma? <laughs> um. I will tell you, they probably would each tell you something different about me. My oldest grandchild, who will be 16 this summer, I can't believe she's going to be 16. She would probably tell you that I am fun because I like to take her shopping and travel. If you were to ask my middle grandchild, who actually is my oldest grandchild of my son's, She is six and a half. She always has to tell you that. Almost seven. She would tell you that I'm a super fun grandma because I play games with her. 
So I try to find what is the thing that each grandchild loves to do. And that is what I do with them. Whether it's playing games, going shopping, reading a book, um, watching a fun movie. They each have individual little needs and wants. And that is what I try to do is, is spend time with them doing the things that I know they love to do. Awesome. Thank you for sharing all those things. That That's awesome. So you've been working a lot on a recent dissertation about apologies and nursing. Can you tell us about that? So right now I'm really focused on supporting nurses following either a medical error or organizational learning and taking a bigger, broader perspective from my dissertation. I'm also really looking at how to support nurse leaders and what nurse leaders need to be able to support nurses in helping them learn and grow from their mistakes. I will probably have some additional work on apology after a medical error, but I found that nurses did not have an opportunity to apologize after making an error or a mistake. And there's definitely some work that needs to be done in that arena. And I'm not really sure where that's going to take me in the next few years. How do you, Dr. Prothero, support nurse leaders? You've been conducting a study on this, right? Yes. Actually, I have just submitted a grant proposal for a study to better understand how nurse leaders view errors, what their perceptions of medical errors are, and how they support nurses following an error. I also want to know if nurse leaders are receive education and training on how to best support nurses and what to do when they have a nurse that reports to them and that nurse makes a serious mistake. Do they know how to best support that nurse? Or are they just going on their past experience as themselves as a nurse? Or do they think that the institution is going to take care of it and they're just the manager of the schedule and the department and that nurse's emotional well-being is not really their responsibility? Are you going to involve students at all in your study? I, I am. I, um, I'm going to be, if this project gets funded, I'm going to be recruiting three to four research assistants to work with me. And I'm very excited because the project itself is really in its infancy. So the students will have an opportunity to help pull together a literature review. Um, I have a survey that we're going to be using, but the survey was written in um, Turkey and has only been used in hospitals in Turkey. So the author was nice enough to send me a copy of the survey in English, as well as some additional information that I needed about the survey. And we're going to actually do a pilot with the survey using five local nurse leaders to help us understand if the wording in the survey is really going to make sense. 
We're also going to be developing some open-ended questions to elicit some additional information from nurse leaders, and the students will help us put together those open-ended questions. They'll also have an opportunity to um, write and get IRB approval, which is also a really fun part about doing research. And they'll have the opportunity to help gather and um, analyze this data, as well as put together a, um, a written article and um, hopefully some, um, some presentations that will follow in, in uh, the next year. So I'm hoping to carry out this research over the summer and into the early fall, and then we'll spend um, probably winter semester writing up um, our findings and then presenting at conferences next year. You know, we've talked about medical errors and things that can go wrong in the hospital, and I know you're conducting research on that, but what would you say to a student who's in a situation where he or she may not feel comfortable with something that's going on, they kind of want to speak up, but they're afraid to do so? You know, it's really interesting that you bring that up. I think so many times we can sit back and look at our own, um, you know, our own, we'll see, what's the word I'm using? We can sit back and look at our, our own um, actions and try to figure out, you know, later that evening or even the next day, what you would have done differently. In healthcare, the risks are great. And patient safety should be the very most important thing that we're always thinking about. And so we have to set aside our own insecurities sometimes and speak out. And I think um, I've heard so many stories about nurses saying, if I had just said, hold up, wait a minute, I need you to stop so that I can clarify, they would have been able to eliminate the very serious mistake that happened. And I talk about that a lot when I am helping students, especially during lab time down in the, in the uh, nursing learning center, is when you're in a team setting, make sure that everybody on the team knows what's going on. Speak out loud. What am I doing? This is the step I'm taking. This is what I just did. And as well as asking for clarification, many times they're in a clinical setting where a physician or another nurse asks them to do something and they think they heard it correctly, but they're not really sure. There is no shame in saying, so you want me to give one milligram of morphine now. And you're just asking for that clarification back. And I think that is where we start to get some safety-minded protocols that are always put in place. I hate when I have to hear about a serious event that happened because someone was afraid to speak up. Someone was afraid to say, stop. Someone was afraid to say, I don't understand. And I think we all want what's best for our patients. And in the end, hopefully you won't get yelled at, but in the end, it, it is the right thing to do. Yeah, I totally agree 100%. But we have come to the end of our time together today. We want to thank you so much for coming in and talking with us and being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure.
And here we are at the end of an episode. I've been thinking a lot about my interview with John from CAPS. And I think that mental health is something that's just so relevant nowadays, especially in times of COVID. So Corbin and I were reading an article about mental health and children during this crazy pandemic. Corbin, what are your key takeaways from that article? Yeah, I loved this article. It's actually written by the Nursing Times, which is something I've never heard of, but I think it's pretty cool that it exists. It's called How the Pandemic Has Affected Children and Their Nurses, in case anybody's interested. But it talks about how because of the way that children's lives have been changed because of COVID, their mental health along with that has been affected negatively. And this negative effect has led to things that you wouldn't necessarily expect out of children, like eating disorders and high rates of depression and things like that. And thinking about that myself, it's terrible. I think of little children as these fun, innocent, love to be energetic little people, but the pandemic has just stripped that away from them. And that is tragic in my opinion. I totally agree. I've seen this with my own siblings. Like they've changed a lot in the last year since the pandemic started, especially with school being online for so long and not being able to hang out with their friends. It's it's really sad to see them struggle during this time. It is really sad. And the article goes on and talks about how nurses can have a positive impact in that. And now as we're getting to the point where things are starting to open up a little bit more and families are going to be able to go to the hospital more often, nurses have this great responsibility to, like the article said, to deal with those pressures in a way that they never have before. Because these children missed out on a year and a half of their childhood. And these children are never going to be able to get it back. But nurses, through their smiles and through the way that they treat these children when they come in, are going to be able to have a far greater impact in a different way that they wouldn't have been able to if COVID-19 had never happened. Agreed. And I would also recommend, if you're interested in any of these pediatric mental health issues, go read about them online. It's going to be enriching to your nursing career and your education, whether you're a pediatric nurse or not. And it's something that we can all help with the kids in our lives, whether they be our own, our siblings, people that we meet in clinical, anywhere. Yeah. We are so grateful for you guys tuning in every single week. We hope that you guys are successful in school and in everything else. And we will be here same time next week. See you guys. See ya. See ya.